of men in the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love that may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, thank you so much for being here. Your being here is an encouragement to us, and we hope and we pray that we can be an encouragement to you also. Today we'll continue a series of lessons that we started two weeks ago as we think about God's model of church growth. Last week, two weeks ago, we looked at the first lesson, the attitude that is so important as relayed in the first few verses of Ephesians, the fourth chapter. As we look there, we could see that the attitude that the church growth has to be involved by everyone. It's not up to elders, it's not up to deacons, it's not just up to a minister. But everybody must have that attitude, as Paul said, that even though he was in prison, he was involved in this. In other words, it's an attitude that says, the buck stops here, it begins with me. And then the attitude that we should betray is that of love, that of interest, that of humility, that of long-suffering. When we look at that, we see that those characteristics are very attractive. That's what literally would draw people that once they visit the first time, they say, you know, I'd like to visit there again. Now, oftentimes, it would be an ignorance, but we would think, what would cause someone to visit a second time? And many times, individuals wrongly say, well, it's because we teach the truth. Friends... That's just not the case when someone is a visitor out of the world and they don't know how to identify the truth. That can't be what draws them back the second time because they themselves have not yet identified it. So what is it that draws them back? It's showing them the love of Christ. In John 13th chapter, we're taught that it's that way that all men may know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. And so we see how important the attitude is. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that attitude is more important than truth, or truth is more important than attitude. Bottom line, we can't do without either one of them. And the second thing that we read in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, is the importance of the right doctrine. The word doctrine means teaching. The teaching, of course, that we should teach is the teaching of Jesus Christ. So as we think about the right teaching, wouldn't it be a shame if instead of teaching the right teaching, we taught things that only drew people's attention, we were more concerned about filling the pews instead of filling the population of heaven. Let's make sure that what we always say is truth, that it can make a difference in the lives of individuals because it is the words of God. You know, there used to be a phrase that was often said several decades ago, book, chapter, and verse. That's a phrase that ought not ever go out of favor. We ought to always want to know, is that in the Bible? Is that the book, chapter, and verse? But today's lesson. Today's lesson, we see the importance of the right leadership. Andrew Hamilton once explained the power of leadership comparing it to a river. And he said that within its banks, it's powerful and useful. But once it has gone outside its boundaries, it becomes desolation and destruction to all that are in its way. Have you ever thought how wonderful good leadership is? 
A while ago, Doug just prayed a prayer of thanksgiving for the great leadership that we have in this congregation. I would agree with him in that prayer. Thank God that we have great leadership. But why can we honestly define that leadership in that way? Because the leadership maintains its boundaries. And it flows in a beautiful and powerful fashion because no one in the leadership's demanding themselves to be glorified or their self-will to be exemplified. Instead, great leadership, just as we see in this congregation among our elders, are those that want God glorified and submitting fully to the will of God. Today, instead of just thinking about elders, uh, elders alone, let's think about the concept of leadership as it's mentioned in this passage. The first thing, look at verse 11. The first thing I want you to see is that God says leadership is given by God. I need to understand that it was not a group of men that sat down one time and said, you know, Jesus is walking around teaching things, and I tell you what, I don't know about you, Peter, but I want to be an apostle. Peter looks around and says, James, that's a great idea. I want to be an apostle too. Let's see if there's ten other people that want to be apostles. That was not a leadership designed by man. It was God that gave some to be apostles. People didn't sit around in the days of the miraculous gifts and say, God, today I'd like to have the miraculous gifts of prophecy. And then they go about to church on Sunday and they prophesy. God gave them the gift to prophesy. Look again there. and We're in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Look at verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The first two, no doubt entailed miraculous. The apostles had miraculous gifts. All that they did was not miraculous, but it entailed miraculous gifts. Prophets. All they did was not miraculous, but it entailed miraculous gifts. The ability to prophesy, to foretell, to be able to speak a message even without studying and preparing for it. That no doubt would involve miraculous. But did you notice those last three? Those last three don't point to the miraculous. When he speaks of evangelists, pastors, and teachers... You see, what he's doing here is he's laying out a principle that would include the age of miracles, but it also would be a principle that would apply beyond the age of miracles. In other words, today, when individuals are elders, who gave them that opportunity to be elder? Who gave that office as an opportunity for for them to serve? Acts 20 and 28 says that the Holy Spirit has appointed them to be elder. You see, the point that you and I need to understand as we think about leadership, as we think about this is not a design where, where a group of 600 people sat down and they said, let's vote on how we want to be governed. Let's vote on the authority that is among us. You think it's good to have an officer, an elder? All those in favor, raise your right hand. You think it's good to have men that would serve a deacon? All those in favor, raise your right hand. Friends, we go back to the Word of God, and it's God that gave individuals to be leaders. It's God that designed us that way. Now, here's an underlying point that I hope you can just take with you through this lesson and develop it however you will in your mind. And that is, if God designed us so that we need leaders, He also designed us so as the need for us to follow. How well do you and I do the leadership that God places in our life, and how well do we do in the areas of fellowship that God places in our lives? 
Look with me, if you will, to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter and verse 10. 1 Peter, the fourth chapter and verse 10. I'd like for us to read verse 10 and 11 to emphasize really the point that we have just seen in Ephesians 4. Notice 1 Peter 4, verse 10, he says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You notice here again the idea of individuals having various abilities and opportunities is described as gifts. There he said, each one has received a gift, minister. How do we use our gifts that God gives us? He says, minister serving one another. And so we see that throughout the scriptures, God is the one that's established leadership. God is the one that gives opportunities for individuals to lead. But note this. We do that by serving each other, and so importantly, we see here in the middle of verse 11, he says, in all things, God may be glorified. A leader says, how do I know if I'm being God's leader? How do I know if I'm being what God wants me to be? If a leader is demanding attention, they're not being God's leader. If a leader is demanding their own way, they're not being God's leader. If a leader is hoping that they're glorified, they're not being God's leader. If a leader refuses to serve others, you've heard me say it before, but please allow me to say it again because it fits so appropriately here. Even in the corporate world, there are corporations that they call consulting firms to bring them in to help train their leaders, and behind closed doors, so I've talked with some of these guys, behind closed doors, the CEOs will say, Do you have any kind of leadership style that you could teach our people that's Jesus' style of leadership? And the person that does the seminar says, Oh, you mean encouraging the highest leaders to be servants? And they say, Yes, exactly. And they're like, Sure, we can do that and never mention the Bible. Okay, come on in and do that. Friends, some of these modern ways of leadership aren't modern at all. Jesus Christ was one of, I suppose, the first leaders to ever come to this earth that said, I want to teach you a new style of leadership, and it's going to be that of servanthood. I want to wash your feet and teach you that as I've washed your feet now, he's talking to the apostles, they're going to be the highest level of leaders in the early church and the highest level of spiritual leaders on this earth. And he says, now, apostles, I've taught you that I, your master, can wash your feet. Now you go about and you do likewise. It's God that has designed leadership. And how wonderful it is for a church. Think about it. We're talking about what causes a church to grow out of verse 16. What causes a church to grow? When there's a leadership in the church that practices that kind of level of commitment. For God to be glorified for them to serve each other and to realize that their gifts are given from God. Notice with me, if you will, as we come out of verse 11, there's a comma. In other words, he's addressed five areas or a description of five people of leadership. We're going to skip that next slide. And let's go to the first point as we go in verse 12. 
There are three fours, F-O-R. There's three fours in verse 12 that's tied directly in to the individuals that led out of verse 11. So in other words, even though it might not be proper grammar, we could say, what is leadership for? And three times he'll finish this sentence. Talking to the leaders out of verse 11, he would say, this is what leadership can do. This is what God has designed leadership to do. Verse 12, it's for the equipping of the saints. Now, what does it mean to be equipped? You may have heard me use this illustration before. If, if you called in an electrician to put a ceiling fan in your house, and you tell the electrician, now this is exactly the kind of ceiling fan I want, and uh, there's, there's, uh, it's just a ceiling there. There's nothing that you can wire to. You have to run wire over the wall and put us a switch in. And on the phone, he says, sure, I'll be there. I'll be ready to go Monday morning, 7 o'clock. Monday morning, 7 o'clock, he comes in his, in the house, and he has on a pair of jeans and just a shirt, and he's in the house. He says, okay, I'm ready. You kind of look at him and think, well, this is awkward. Maybe he's going to go back to his truck and get things. Okay, that's good. Go ahead and get started. He said, okay. He's just looking around. Embarrassed, you go out of the room think, well, maybe he'll pull it all together if I just leave. An hour later, you come back and you say, hey, you... he's just still looking. He says, what's the problem? He said, I don't have a fan. I forgot my belt. I don't have any wire. Wait a minute. You're not equipped for the job. Exactly. I'll tell you what, you go and you come back tomorrow equipped. He says, okay. He comes back the next day. If he has everything that he needs to complete the job, he's equipped. Now, did you notice here what leaders are supposed to do? Now, I know there's a fine line here. Because on one hand, leadership oftentimes will kind of let the hair raise up on their neck and get angry, and they'll say, it's not our job to spoon-feed everybody. That's right. Leaders can't study for everybody. Leaders can't make individuals grow. But I need to get this real straight from God. God said it is the responsibility of leadership to make sure that everybody in the congregation has the opportunity to be fully equipped. Well, what does God say equips an individual? Now, let's turn to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. In 2 Timothy, the third chapter. Look at verse 16 and 17. 16 talks about the Scriptures. And notice the complete and thoroughly equipped in 17. All scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So that's what the Bible can do. Now notice this. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So when a man learns the scriptures... When an individual learns the Scriptures, he can be complete. Now, that's perfect. That's complete. Like a deck of cards is complete. Or even perfect in the sense when you might take some sourdough bread out of the oven and it's just perfect shaped and you say, Oh, that's perfect. Oh, that's complete. In other words, you finished what you set out to do. But now notice the rest as he says, Thoroughly equipped. As we look at the idea there of thoroughly equipped... The idea now drops back to how did you get to that point of being finished. In other words, here, the man was complete. 
Well, how did he become complete? He was thoroughly furnished. He was thoroughly furnished to what? To every good work. The ceiling fans in. You're able to flip it on and off. Complete. How did you get to that point of being complete? Because that individual came back the next day thoroughly equipped to put in the fan. My fear is sometimes we look at all the ministries that we have opportunity to be a part of and we don't place enough emphasis on the fact that to complete that ministry it's going to take individuals that know the Word of God. Because keep in mind, it's knowing the Word of God that completes things for every good work. You name a ministry that we're part of that's not a good work. Somebody says, well, all of our ministries are good work. All right, then we have to know the Scriptures to really do things the way God wants them to be done. And so the challenge is on our hands then to be that individual that can equip. So as we round up this point of equip, let's think for just a moment, how? How can leaders equip? One of the ways that leaders equip is through the teaching of Bible class. One of the ways that leaders equip is by teaching individuals one-on-one or even from the preaching of God's Word. These are ways that we are equipped. These are ways that we're ready to take and to serve God better than what we have before. And then we say, why? Because we need to be ready for every good work. Think with me, if you will, though, there's a second four here as we go to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verse 12. First, we saw for the equipping of the saints. Look at the second one. For the work of ministry. Now, probably in your, if you're reading from the King James, it might even say for the work of the ministry. That second article is not in there. In other words, he's not talking about a specific ministry here. He's talking about leadership. Leadership is in place, designed by God, for the work, labor, toiling of ministry, serving. If the church is to benefit from leadership, what kind of leadership should it be? Leadership that is encouraging everyone to serve, but realizing the only way they can do that is to serve themselves. We don't see anywhere in the Scriptures Are there being a hierarchy where one area says, I'm too good to do this, but we'll pass down orders to do it. You know, all throughout the Scriptures, we see the analogy given of shepherds. Why? Because shepherds led always among the sheep. We don't see ranchers that had the big log cabin house and they only went out occasionally and they checked on the cattle. We see sheep where they are among them. And they are leading over them, but they are there with them day in and day out. As we think about this kind of leadership, it's very important for us to think about how can we equip? We're not all the same. And so that lets us know the importance of having many leaders so that everybody can find their place in the body of Christ. Look with me through a couple of passages. You notice there, we just looked at the word work and ministry. Turn with me to Acts, the sixth chapter. I'd like for you to look at this word ministry and see two ways as you, so different one from the other. Acts, the sixth chapter. You remember that 
in Acts the sixth chapter, we're coming on the point that the widows were being neglected that had the Greek background, and, and they could see that the Hebrew widows were being very well taken care of, and it caused quite a disturbance in the early church. Notice the word ministry. And odds are, if you're reading from uh, maybe one of the newer translations, it may even be hard for you to pick out the word from the original Greek, the same word that was translated ministry just a few minutes ago for the equipping uh, of the saints in ministry. Acts 6, chapter verse 1. Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews, the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in daily distribution. That word daily distribution, probably be, it'd be much more clearly to recognize if it was translated daily ministering. In other words, here that same word of ministry is used to talk about there's widows. And you might say this was the first Meals on Wheels in the church. And, and so here are widows and they were going about on a daily basis. They didn't just deliver food uh, on Thursdays. They delivered daily provisions apparently seven days a week. And so those individuals that were involved in that ministry, here it's called this daily distribution, they were involved in that kind of ministry. So we say, okay, in the Scriptures, ministry is serving others with daily provisions. Well, ministry is much broader. It's any good work. See another example in verse 4. You remember, as we go through verse 2 and 3, that the Apostle says they couldn't leave prayer and the study of God's Word to do that. In other words, here we have inspired men... They could work miracles, but they couldn't do everything. And that's a powerful message to teach us about leaders. There's no one leader that can do it all. Now, we see that from the very beginning of the New Testament church. And so here were leaders that says, yes, these widows need to be waited on, but we can't do it all. Well, how did they define their ministry? Look at verse 4. This is what the apostle says. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The exact same word, ministry there, as distribution back in verse 1. The point is this. We need to find our ability. We need to find the opportunity that God gives us. And that becomes our ministry. That's where we need to serve. For the apostles, so much of their ministry was in prayer and preaching and teaching. For many of the first century church, so much of their ministry was serving widows in need. But the point is very clear. Be turning, if you will, to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. But the point is, we don't do ourselves a favor when we think that there's a certain ministry that is above another, or that if I'm involved in a certain ministry, that God is, is less pleased with me. Notice here, and, and in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, those three chapters, there's a lot of dealing going on here with certain groups that thought they were, uh, they were arrogant. They thought they were more important. There are certain groups that I guess thought maybe they were less important. And so the 12th, the 13th, and 14th chapter is to try to set all this in order. And so he begins these three chapters by this point. Look at 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Look at verse 4. There are diversities of gifts but the same Spirit. We're going to see all members of the Godhead here. We're going to see the Spirit, the Son, the Lord, and the Father, God. There are diversities of gifts, different gifts, but they all come from the same Holy Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. 
That's interesting. We have different abilities. You know who gave you the ability you have? The Holy Spirit. Who gave me the ability I have? The Holy Spirit. And you know, we have different opportunities to serve. Most of us here are familiar with the SOS book. We see all of those different ministries. And we say, you mean not all of us are going to be involved in the same ministries? Absolutely not. You say, well, where did this ministry come from that works with children? Or where did this ministry come from that works with those in need? Or where did this ministry come from that works with those that are incarcerated? Well, we see all of these ministries came from the same Lord. And then finally you say, you know, there's a lot of different power. There's a lot of different activities that go on in each of these ministries. Who gives the individuals that work with children the power to work? God does. God gives us all. Not all the same, but He gives us all an opportunity to serve. And what's the importance of this? If you will, look with me at this chart. This chart, we're going to see a triangle. And on this triangle, if we were to simply say that the height of the triangle represented membership, and we said the base of the triangle represented leadership, and we're not saying that the numbers are equal. In other words, one on width or base would not equal one on height. But nevertheless, if we were to say that as a congregation grew, we don't really need more leaders, it's very foolish. The truth is... If a congregation is 400 in size, the number of elders and deacons and ministers that are needed in that congregation would not be the same number if the congregation grew to 800 in size. And what's very evident in the study of church growth and etc., and the truth is it comes right back to the Scriptures. That is, if the leadership doesn't grow itself, then the membership... Notice how there on the chart... There's no base. There's no line under 600 and 800. And so what happens is the membership starts falling. You ever seen congregations that they say, well, at one time we were, we were 500 in size and now we're only about 200. Now, if there have not been huge uh, demographical changes in their area, there's really only one thing that you can attribute that to. It's leadership. You see, you take and you do not provide leadership. Keep in mind, this isn't man design, this is God design. Leadership is there to do what? To instruct the Word of God. Leadership is there to do what? To provide opportunities to serve. Most of us have probably heard of the 80-20 rule, where people say, you know, there's, there's 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Have you ever thought why in many congregations 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work? In most congregations, that's taking place because the other 80% would like to do something, but there's not much going on, and the 20% that always do it are going to be the ones that keep always doing it. And so a new member comes along, and a new member says, I'd like to get involved, but they're kept on the fringes because there's not anything for them to do. What's the point? When leadership grows, it makes room for every individual in the congregation to grow. What's the importance of our SOS book? There's been about maybe 50% complete the book so far. You say, well, why only 50%? 
it's hard to get that last 50% involved. Bottom line. Well, somebody says, well, why even bother with it? That's really pretty good statistics. I'm just shooting straight here, okay? It's pretty good statistics. Most churches that do this, they don't get up to 50 or 60%. You know why? Because most congregations have close to half of the people that feel like they're on the fringe. They talk about that church up there. They talk about the church we attend. The other 50% that's active, they're growing individually, they talk about our church. They talk about the work we do at church. They talk about we would love to invite you to come and be a part of us. What's the difference? The difference is major. So someone says, well, if you've got 50% that feel that way about it, let them do everything. Well, what are we going to do? Let the other 50 just kind of swivel and die on the vine? Oh, it may take a year, it may take five years, it may take ten years, but what's the goal? That is that if any opportunity that somebody decides, I am sick of being mediocre about God. I'm ready to get serious about my relationship with God. I'm ready to serve Him. I'm ready to get busy. There'll be a place to serve. Instead of saying, I tried and I tried to serve and there was nowhere to serve, there's a place to serve. There's a place for every member of this congregation to serve. All you have to do is complete the SOS. And if that fails, let one of us know. And we'll do our best to make sure that whatever gap or crack that has been created there, we want to fill that. We're not perfect. We're doing the very best we can do to give everybody in this congregation the opportunity to be involved in the work of ministry. Why? According to the Scriptures, that's what leaders do. Leaders, back in verse 12, they're for the equipping of the saints. What's the equipping of the saints? That's learning the Word of God. Number two, they're for what? For the work of ministry. Helping people be involved in ministry. They themselves must first be involved in ministry and help. And we're not going to have time to develop the third point, but we'll close with this. The third four is for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, if I ask you, what does the word edify mean? Most would say it means to build up. And it does. But you know, really, the root word edify is literally talking about architecture. It's talking about the building. In other words, the Lord says, my church is the body of Christ. And I want it to be built fitly together. Love binding us together. Built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone and the doctrine of the apostles being a part of that foundation. He says, I want you to build the church on that foundation. You say, Lord, what's that building? And he says, when you go to work and you build that church, that's edification. So edification is what we do to build the Lord's church. What are you doing in your life as you learn the Word of God to build the Lord's church? What are you doing in your life in ministry to build the Lord's church? You know what every one of our deacons are, are challenged to do? Not only lead their ministry, but to involve everybody else that, that is able and willing to be a part of that ministry. It's a dual purpose. Why? Because the Lord's design is for every joint. Well, let's just read it. Turn to Ephesians 4th chapter. It's our text. Turn to verse 16. What's the Lord's design? From who the whole body... You see? Now, what's the body? The body is the building. The, in other words, the Lord's church. It's built it up. 
Alright, and so when we see the body, it's being edified, it's being built up from whom the whole body joined and knit together. How? By what every joint supplies, that's every member supplying its part, according to what? The effective working. You see, that's the ministry. Everybody goes out, they do their part, by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body. And what does that do? For the edifying of itself, of what? The body of Christ, the building up in what? In love. Friends, it all works together like a hand in glove. The Lord says, you learn my will. In other words, that's the way we're equipped. Learn the Word of God. And you go out and serve mankind. That's the ministry. And when you do that, the Lord's church is going to be built up. What's leadership for? Leadership is to make sure everybody has opportunity to learn more of the will of God. What is leadership for? Leadership is for providing opportunities for everybody to serve. There's nobody here that doesn't have an opportunity to serve. What's leadership for? Leadership is for the building of the church. A church is doing something wrong when they do things and it tears down the church. Now, let's conclude with this point. Who was the greatest leader to ever walk the face of this earth? Jesus Christ. What did He do? He went around instructing people. He went around serving people so that He could build up His body. Godly leaders... Godly leaders provide the same thing for people today as Jesus provided in His sense of leadership. What do godly followers do? Learn the will of God. Serve in His kingdom and make sure that all that we do is to build up the body of Christ. That's what causes church growth. It's everybody doing their part. It's you inviting the lady at the cash register that says to you, Oh, we just moved into town. Oh, we'd love to have you come be a part of our church. It's everybody looking down the street and seeing somebody in need and saying, I can serve them. I have a responsibility to the Lord's body. It's everybody saying, more than anything, I want to see God's body, Christ's body, magnified, glorified. If you yourself are not faithful to God, if you're not a part of Christ's body, If you know what you need to do, won't you take the steps of service this morning to do that? God's done His part, and we can be saved only by His grace. But now the question is, have we done our part? If you're a believer that's willing to repent of sins, confess before man that Jesus is the Son of God, won't you be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins today? And together we can grow into the body of Christ even greater and greater as we strive to increase the population of heaven. Maybe along the way you've lost focus of what God wants you to be and now you know what you want to be. And if you need to repent of sins and confess uh, those sins and let's pray one for another as James 5 and 16 teaches. If we can help in any way, come as we stand as we sing.